Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Public discourse has been feminized. We're leveling the playing field by making weaker men and lowering standards. The excuse makers on television turning every situation into an example of systemic racism are eunuchs or closeted bigots. They're believers in the supremacy of whiteness and menstruating men. Many of them, particularly the former athletes, are useful idiots. They have no idea they're being transitioned into chicks with They're addicted to fame and the need and need the money to sustain their irresponsible lifestyles. The culture replaced the Dixie Chicks with Dixie Chicks. Thankfully, Lamar Jackson is Kid Rock. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Monday to you and yours. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I hope your football picks were better than mine. Uh, I picked the Bills and the Chiefs. Picked the uh, Lions to cover. The Lions did cover, uh, but the Chiefs and the Bills didn't. Uh, so I hope you had a better football weekend than I did. Uh, but that does not mean just because I had a bad football weekend doesn't mean we're not going to have a great football show today. TJ Mosty, Kim. And last chance Q, Jason Brown, is going to be here to help me break down the, uh, the NFL action over the weekend. So uh, we have a fantastic show uh, planned for you, built around football, my favorite sport, your favorite sport, all kinds of issues to talk about. But uh, we're going to start by building a fire around Lamar Jackson. And we're gonna, this, this fire is going to be bigger than just football. All right, so let's get rolling here on this Monday afternoon. Excuses cripple, criticism fuels. When Lamar Jackson signs the biggest contract in NFL history, I hope he wears a nobody cares work harder t-shirt. It's his way of conveying that excuses cripple and criticism fuels. Three games into the NFL season, Jackson is once again the league's best player it's clear MVP frontrunner. Playing without a new contract, the fifth-year quarterback is on pace to duplicate his 2019 MVP season, arguably the greatest season of QB play in, more, in the more than 100-year history of the league. In that magical season, Jackson passed for 3,100 yards, 36 TDs, and ran for 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns. This year, he's headed towards 50, uh, 50 passing touchdowns and 1,200 rushing yards again. Sunday, against Bill Belichick's New England Patriots, Jackson tossed four TD passes, ran for 107 yards, and another score. He's a one-man team. Baltimore's defense can't stop anybody. Jackson outscored the Patriots 37-26. I'm not sure we've ever seen one player account for a higher percentage of a team's offense than Jackson. 
every offensive touchdown Baltimore has scored this season, Jackson either run it or thrown it. He's like 90% of their total yardage. The guy's incredible. Why is Jackson so great? Of course, he's talented. Of course, he has a great work ethic. Of course, the Ravens have built an offense that fits his skill set. But there's an extra ingredient. He's been criticized his entire pro career. Before the 2018 draft, Hall of Fame NFL general manager Bill Polian said Jackson should move to wide receiver. Few people believed and or believe Jackson's style of play is sustainable. Jackson has a boatload of doubters. Those doubters fuel his greatness. It's a joy to watch. It speaks to the importance of criticism and the danger of excuses. The mainstream media thinks it's important to shield black people from criticism. They pin every failure on systemic racism. They blast every critic as a racist. They promote the narrative that black people must be smothered in a cocoon of praise to blossom. It's just not true, especially for men. Men, regardless of color, need critics, adversaries, and obstacles to reach their highest level of achievement. That's our fuel. Excuses are our kryptonite. Let me channel my inner Al Bundy and reminisce about my glory days as a high school athlete. As a 15-year-old sophomore playing in my third varsity game, I injured my elbow recovering a fumble against Ben Davis High School. Trainers looked over my arm for two or three plays and decided I could go back into the game. My offensive line coach, Lee Dilk, startled me before I returned to the field. He moved within inches of my face and snarled, you better play like you're not injured. <laughs> I was blown away. How did he know what I was thinking? It had crossed my mind that I had an excuse for poor play the rest of the game. He took the excuse away from me. I've never forgotten that moment or that lesson. The people showering black men with excuses do not want us to succeed. They're grooming black men for feminization and fragility. They don't believe we can compete without crutches, handouts, and their sympathy. It's my belief that girls need more positive affirmation than boys. That's a controversial statement in modern America. The controversy does not diminish the truthfulness. Look at the way many female broadcasters respond to mean tweets and emails. They nail themselves to public crosses. Harsh public scrutiny tears at their souls. Most male broadcasters, columnists, and opinionists used to see public backlash as a sign of relevance. 30 years ago, generating angry letters to the editor signaled success. Now Twitter mobs signal unemployment. Public discourse has been feminized. We're leveling the playing field by making weaker men and lowering standards. We need to do the reverse. We need to build more Lamar Jacksons. You do that by taking away all excuses and letting men devour their critics with their performance. That's what Tom Brady has done for 23 years since falling to the bottom of the draft. That's what Michael Jordan did when people said he couldn't win championships being a volume scorer. The excuse makers on television turning every situation into an example of systemic racism are eunuchs or closeted bigots. They're believers in the supremacy of whiteness and menstruating men. Many of them 
particularly the former athletes, are useful idiots. They have no idea they're being transitioned into chicks with They're addicted to fame and need the money to sustain their irresponsible lifestyles. The culture replaced the country music singing Dixie Chicks with guys that call themselves D-I-C-K-S-E-Y Chicks, Dixie Chicks. Lamar Jackson, thank God, is Kid Rock. That's my fire uh, for today. Uh, I'm going to bring on TJ Moe uh, to discuss uh, today's fire. TJ, I've made the argument before. I, I feel like I got more evidence of it this weekend. That's why I'm basically repeating the argument. Criticism is the fuel, it's the vegetables, it's what powers men to greatness. The people running around denying this criticism uh, to black people are crippling them. And I, I, I'm, I'm to the point with the athletes, a lot of them, I think they're useful idiots and they don't know what they're doing. But I think there is a segment of the media world that knows exactly what they're doing and they're using idiots to achieve, useful idiots to achieve their goals. Uh, let's start here with the just an easy one, the football related deal. Do, do you believe the fact that Lamar Jackson feels disrespected and unappreciated is fueling him to an even higher level of play? I think it's possible. And disclaimer, I may be the weird one. And so usually I am, but I'm going to give you, I, I don't operate this way. I, in fact, I tried to operate this way at one point. It didn't work. And so <clears throat> there was a guy, you know him, Tommy Saunders, played football at University of Missouri, walk on, became a captain, got NFL tryouts. That's how hard he worked and committed himself to being the best he could be. He, he used to have a bracelet that he made that had the letters F-E-W-D-M, and it said blank everyone who doubted me. And so everybody told him he couldn't, and that's how he was able to do it. And I always thought about Tom Brady and the Brady Six. We've seen that for years now where, he, he, you know, the six quarterbacks drafted in front of him. And I always thought of Michael Jordan, who just created issues to be upset about, right? And that's, we saw it in the documentary. And I took that personally, he said that 500 times. I actually tried doing that. And it didn't work because I could not get myself to care what people who already didn't like me thought about me. I, it, it, was, it could motivate me for five minutes, right? And it wasn't necessarily that, I know what you're thinking, necessarily that they didn't like me. But they weren't the people who were invested in me. That's probably a better way to say it. These pundits on TV had nothing invested in me. And so the only sustainable piece of motivation that I ever got was thinking that my mom drove me to practice every day since I was seven years old. Like, I need to prove her right. And my dad was my coach, and he gave money and time and energy into trying to make me into the best player that I could. I have teammates counting on me. I have head coaches who are putting their jobs on the line to put me out on the field and say, we think he's the best. He needs to go prove us right. That was the only sustainable thing for me. So when it comes to the criticism, it didn't ever motivate me. Where I think you're right was that excuses can cripple people, but it wasn't ever the criticism that fueled me. 
TJ, I'm going to twist your words and, and, and come back at you. I, I, I won't even say twist your words. I'm going to give you a different way to think about it. It doesn't have to be external criticism. It can be internal. And so I think anybody that takes on the challenge of being a Christian, that's an internal criticism that drives you every day. I am a flawed, weak, despicable human being cursed by the sins of Adam. And there's a whole book written about me and all my failures called the Bible. And I'm going to try to course correct. I'm going to try to prove my critic as wrong as I possibly can. That is what drives me now as a more mature adult on my walk. But I, I got to say for me and for a lot of people, I was doubted my whole journalistic career. I didn't graduate from Mizzou or Northwestern or one of these prestigious universities. Again, I didn't even take college all that seriously. I graduated with a 2.3. I didn't do any of these prestige uh, internships that kids were doing back then. But I did have a chip on my shoulder for everybody that thought I was going to be a waste of time or, or whatever. And so, I, 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 again, I believe there can be an external criticism that drives you or you can have an internal criticism, a real understanding of how screwed up you are that will drive you to uh, greater heights. And so, again, that, that's why you're going to have to find criticism somewhere. External, internal, it's good if you find both. It's, it's best if, you, if your internal criticism of yourself drives you. Uh, but some of us uh, thrive off this little extra deal about what the world thinks about us. And, and I just think it's clear is that this guy's in a contract year. People are sitting there saying, so you can't pay him as much as Mahomes. And this dude is like, no, 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 no. Y'all going to pay me more than Mahomes because <laughs> as it relates to this Baltimore franchise, I'm more, he's the most valuable football player in football, regardless of any team, as it relates to Baltimore. He may not be the best, but he's certainly the most valuable to any one team, Lamar Jackson. I think that's true. I want to go back, though, because I've heard you say when you graduated, you had doubters. <clears throat> you were out in Charlotte and you had you had to go create what you wanted to talk about, do what you had to do to get what you wanted to do. But I've heard you say before I graduated and realized, hey, I'm a Whitlock. I, this name means something. And I cannot be disappointing my father and my mother and my brother and sisters who all are counting on me. If I'm going to be in the public eye, I've got to, I've got to, the Whitlock name means something. So I just, I just think that's sustainable, right? I don't think today you got critics or whatever, but nobody in their right mind could say, man, I knew Whitlock would never make it right. What, what are they going to say now? So that runs out. You turn into Michael Jordan, who's an incredibly irrational person. Every little slight he's turning into some competition that doesn't make any sense. And so Brady does the same thing. These are not reasonable people. I just, I think there's a better way. Maybe, but, but why discredit the route that's working? Because there's a reason why. Trust me, when I click on Twitter, as I often do, when I click on my Facebook inbox, I know what's waiting for me there. And I gobble it up. And it, it keeps my engine going. 
and it, it really and and look, I have all this internal stuff that I'm doing as as my walk with Christ. But if I can go get some steroids from Twitter or Facebook, I, I do it. I chew it up every day. I, I know exactly what's waiting for me in my Twitter mentions. And I if love that's the extra. I, I, if that's the extra, I'm with you. Right. You have your intrinsic motivation and that there's there's a lot of studies on this, that if you have just extrinsic motivation, you're not going to last very long. There's I took a management class in college that talked all about this, that like the, the very, very best way to do it. You have to be a self motivator. You have intrinsic motivation in order to reach your tippy top of your potential to put you over the top. You add a little bit of extrinsic motivation, which is what you're talking about. Get on Twitter for five minutes and you're like, I still got doubters after 30 years in the business. I still got doubters. That's your little extra. But I just I think we talk about it wrong. Right. Maybe Tommy Saunders, the guy that I learned, he was my mentor in college. I learned as much from him as anybody else. He was probably he loved loved his grandmother was probably trying to make her proud, right? And then the stuff he talked about was the idiots all over Twitter that were still saying, you're a walk-on, you're too slow, you can't do it. I just I just think the conversation is too one-sided and it never worked for me. I, I give five minutes of motivation and so, and again, I'm, I'm happy to say I'm the weird one. I'm sitting here criticizing the greatest ever do it in basketball and football. So obviously what they did worked. I didn't make it. What I did didn't work, but I'm just telling you, it didn't work for me. And I think for most of these people, a guy like Lamar Jackson, who's so close to his mother that she's basically acting as his agent, he's probably playing for her a lot more than he is some idiot on Twitter. Mm. I, 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 I dis, disagree is too strong of a word. I think you're underestimating how much joy and motivation he takes from Bill Polian, a really respected NFL guy saying mm -hmm. oh, he should play wide receiver and all the people that don't think he deserves the kind of money as Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I do think it's, it's, it's driving him. And I, I do think I want to move on from debating that to just this whole uh, excuse making deal we've gone into and this whole thing of, of you know, you must uh, shower these men with praise and anybody that if there's any criticism it's like jumping on bombs and trying to protect it's like everybody signs themselves up to be secret service guys to shield these public figures from any criticism and I think it's a feminizing of the culture that's mm -hmm. weakening men and in this attempt to level the playing field, if we could just remove all criticism, if no one sent out any mean tweets, it would be fair to Sarah Spain and Mina Kimes and everybody else. It's, it's a feminization of public discourse that's completely unhealthy, turns men into eunuchs, weakens men. It redu and, and I'm just I think men and women are built different. I think women do need and thrive in places that are positive and affirming and yep. men need to be challenged and need obstacles thrown in them in front of them. And, and look, there's, I'm not, this isn't true about all women, but I'm just speaking in general. My life experience has taught me you better pour a more positive, uh, uh, positive praise and affirmation towards women. If you want good results, if you want a good reaction, than uh, than men. 
Oh, I, I think there's no question about that. And again, this <clears throat> people who are arguing against that are fighting against nature because they can look at their own lives and say, I deal with women a little bit different than I deal with men. And that's not a learned, well, it is a learned behavior, but it, it's a behavior from experience. Nobody told me, hey, you can't quite talk to her like that. I talked to her like that a few times and it didn't work. And I adjusted my behavior until it promoted the best. You learn this as a manager of people doing anything, right? If you're in the workplace, you see, I'm going to have to motivate different people different ways. And there are extremes on each side. There are extreme women who would prefer to be treated like the men. And okay, but there just aren't very many of them. If you're generalizing, that's the truth. The, the, mean, tweet, you know, the, the mean words thing you were talking about, America has been feminized as a general rule. If people didn't care about mean tweets, Donald Trump would still be president, right? We actually swung an election based on mean tweets. And so I, I don't know how to, I don't know how we get back there other than to say like Twitter has created, it, it's, I, I don't know that this is necessarily a bad thing, but like Twitter has filters now to where you can say, if anybody says these words, I won't even have to see them. You know, you can, you can go into your mentions, type in a list of things you never want to see. So put in every curse word. You can say you don't want to see the word fat. You don't want to see the word ugly. So you can only ever read nice things about yourself. You can tailor the whole world to seeing that even on social media now. So anybody complaining is complaining because they've either not taken the time to go do that or they want attention. You can actually create the soft little safe space world that people talk about all the time. You can make that even on social media now. Um, it's... It, it does rob you of the opportunity to overcome, right? Because if you don't, you may be getting criticized, but if you don't know it, you don't even know you have anything to overcome. What do you just, you, you think everything's okay. Without criticism, you don't, you're, you're, they steal the opportunity for you to reevaluate your own behavior. You may think you're doing a really good job. You may think that you're treating people nicely till you get some feedback. Can you imagine if I walked in, up to my wife and said, all right, Kara, listen, I don't want to hear the word mean, jerk, a-hole, and just say, that's my filter. You're not going to say any of those things to me anymore, and so that's going to be our relationship moving forward. It would never work. You actually need that feedback to adjust your behavior so that you can grow as a human. You've taken me down a path of, of having to acknowledge my filter bans the N-word, coon, but it... it <laughs> So I have used that filter. Uh, just there's some things. It's just like, but for the most part, anybody that watches me knows or watches my social media feed knows that I'm far more inclined to engage with a critic than someone praising me. Uh, yeah. And it's, I, I, you know, because I'm always on the hunt for legitimate criticism. I, I really am because it's a way for me to improve. And so I'll filter through most of the garbage I get to find that one piece of authentic, helpful criticism that that will allow me to improve. Anyway, I, I got well, I got to keep it moving. Go ahead. No, go last, ahead. Last thought. Yeah, go one ahead. last thing on that, <clears throat> because it it is a time waster. Because most people on Twitter are not thoughtful, so you may have to get through 500 stupid tweets. But there is a piece of information in there that's going to help you grow. And this is this is why it's not even that useful. You you it's probably better just to get off Twitter because they're not the ones actually evaluating. Call your buddies and say, hey, just give me some feedback. 
you're watching the show. Is there anything going on? My opinions. Am I way off on this stuff? Call people that actually care about you, that aren't afraid. You're, you're college buddies, I, I can assure everyone, are not afraid to criticize you, right? If you're friends with people in college, they'll say whatever, whenever. And so go to your college buddies. Twitter probably isn't the best place for that. But if you're going to be on Twitter, just acknowledge that that's coming and live with it. Thank you, TJ. Uh, great job, as always. Uh, I want to talk to you guys about our, our good friends at Good Ranchers. Have you ever had a friend who has naturally talented things? They just pick up a sport, hobby, or thing and immediately become good at it? They make it look easy? If you don't have that friend, it's probably because it's you and we all despise you. Uh, the good news is, no matter who you are, you can make great food look very easy with Good Ranchers. They source the highest quality meat in America, and when I say highest quality, I mean it, and more importantly, they can prove it. Each piece of meat is from real American farms and hand cut and trimmed by real American workers. They only source from farms that meet their standards of excellence, which means it's pasture raised, no antibiotics ever, and no added hormones. Good Ranchers is so confident in the quality they sell that they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee on every box they ship to you. Plus, <laughs> and this is the best part, you can use my promo code FEARLESS to get shipping free and $30 off your first order. Trust me when I tell you, the only thing as good as their meat is their in-house customer service team. This is America's best meat and seafood sold by some of America's best people. They won big awards like best food subscription and being part of the Inc. 5000 list of America's fastest growing companies, but their mission is still the same, bringing everyone to the table to share in the best of what makes life good. If you want the best, then go with Good Ranchers. Visit GoodRanchers.com slash fearless to save on American meat delivered to your door. Mm. You know what you need to do. Good fearless soldier. All right. You can email me, and I want you to email me, feedback at fearlessattheblaze.com. I told you guys last week, and you saw it last week, send me some good feedback, even if you're a critic. Even if you're a critic. We may put you on the show if the feedback's good enough, and you know we'll end our Friday show hearing from our viewers and people that maybe have a, a critique, a disagreement, whatever, a take that I find fascinating. Email me at fearlessattheblaze.com. All right, the Korean Coast sells Steve Kim. It's my obligation on hate discrimination, raising up your hands for freedom. All right, welcome back. Time for the Korean co-sell, Steve Kim. Uh, and perhaps on my favorite day to have Steve Kim, I love talking NFL football uh, with Steve Kim. And we'll pick up right where I left off with uh, TJ Moe, uh, Steve. Uh, Lamar Jackson clear favorite three games in to be MVP of the league he's back performing at his 2019 level I think he's the unquestioned MVP right now do you agree well if we were going to give a three slash 17th of the season MVP yes I mean but the theme of this should be it's only September and there's still an issue of sustainability because last year Lamar Jackson for the first month and a half was on a similar arc now I'll I will say this 
Lamar Jackson is gambling on himself, and right now he is sitting on a royal flush, but we still have a lot of football to be played. But uh, just look at the numbers. I mean, he truly is. When they say he's a video game, I say, yeah, he's the most dominant player since 88 Tecmo Bowl Bo Jackson. It's amazing what he means to that franchise. Um, and let's say he stays relatively healthy and stays, let's say, even just an 80% pace right offensively with the production both on the air and with his legs i believe lamar jackson has really leveraged this thing to a point he can name his price i was thinking about this the last time we talked about lamar i don't believe that there is a player as closely associated with his franchise and means as much to that city and community as lamar i mean i was just Look at the Baltimore Ravens if you did a Mount Rushmore. It would obviously be Ray Lewis, then Ed Reed, and then Jonathan Ogden. And you say, already, I think Lamar Jackson, I think he's the fourth guy. With all due respect to guys like Peter Bulwer and uh, you know um, Chris McAllister and Jamal Lewis, Lamar Jackson, I believe if you don't sign him and if he's relatively healthy, short of being crippled, I believe Baltimore will have a revolt. So already he's won the gamble. Now the question is, can he remain upright for 17 games? I, I'll go a step further, or not a step further. I, I, I would replace Jonathan Ogden with Ozzie Newsom on their, oh, okay. uh, on their hmm. Mount Rushmore. I, I would do that. But then I would expand it and just let's go Baltimore football in general. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think... Johnny Unitas is yes. on there. Ray Lewis is on there. Ed Reed is on there. And then now you got a debate between Lamar Jackson and Ozzie Newsom, in my opinion. And Ozzie Newsom, the great executive uh, for the Baltimore Ravens, who had his own Hall of Fame playing career. I, mostly, I believe, in Cleveland, or maybe all in Cleveland. But yes. Yeah, I, I think. Uh, Lamar Jackson just in five seasons, and again, this whole sustainable deal, I, I think we're going to have to table that discussion because my question as it relates to this contract coming up is what Lamar Jackson doing sustainable for the next four or five years? And if so, then you have to pay him as much as more than Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, with the athletic dual-threat quarterbacks, maybe now we say, hey, if a guy has an 8- to 10-year run instead of 15-20 to 20 based on the style, let's just play it out that decade. You know what impressed me about Lamar yesterday? Treat him well, like not- a running back. If a running exactly. back has an 8-year career, 10-year career, it's a success. Right, and very few of them get that third contract. Let's be honest. When a running back hits age 30, it's like when you go into that refrigerator and you see that carton of milk and it's like, oh, boy, that's expired. Let's throw that out. That's just the way it goes. The most impressive eye-opening play for Lamar yesterday was this particular pass, the corner out to Duvernay. And I was like, wow, in the end zone, that throw was on time, and it was touched, it was arced, and it was right there. And I'm thinking, you know what? That's quarterbacking. Lamar, I know me and you have disagreed on this. I know Lamar does not have the classic over-the-top short delivery. It's a little bit low. But, Jason, I've always maintained he throws a very catchable soft pass, and it's a very tight spiral. 
And I believe his pass placement is getting better. Now, as he gets a little bit older, the key for him is to continue to evolve in the pocket and just get rid of the ball on time. Randall Cunningham was a guy that I remember Randall in the late to mid mid 80s to late 80s. He was this like really athletic guy. He did all these plays off platform, extending them. But Jason, his best year statistically was in 1998 as a Minnesota Viking with Randy Moss outside, Chris Carter, and I believe Jake Reed and Robert Smith. You know what he did most of the season? He threw in the pocket. I mean, if you go through that season, there are very few scrambling Randall plays. He was just a guy with a big, long delivery, but he was a pocket passer in what was really, in my view, his best statistical year. All right, let's move on to another topic. And this video has gone a bit viral. Uh, I saw it early yesterday, or right, right before halftime. Patrick Mahomes and Eric Bieniemy uh, bickering with each other as they went into the halftime locker room. And at some point here, Andy Reid has to step in and and separate the two and and. Andy Reid grabs Patrick Mahomes uh, and, and kind of escorts him away from Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy's reputation is that he's a bit of a hothead. Uh, I think LaShawn McCoy, do we have, uh, do we <laughs> have the, yeah, yeah Shady McCoy tw uh, tweeted out who played with the Chiefs for a year. All Bieniemy does is argue with the players, knows nothing about passing or play calling. And then I think we have a video of Patrick Mahomes, I guess, today or after the game yesterday explaining uh, what, what happened. So let's take a look at, uh, let's, let's hear what Patrick Mahomes had to say about what happened between he and the enemy. At the end of the day, I, I, I wanted to go try to score. I mean, that's just who I am. Um, we were in a tough situation. I believe it was like second or third and 20 or and something like that. And the, probably the smart decision was to just take it. We had got the ball out of half. Let's just go to the go to halftime. But I'm always going to be wanting to score. And I mean, I pretty much just said, let me have a chance at it. And then he was just like, let's let's, let's get back in our locker room and we'll, we'll get something going for the next half. And um I guess, uh, I don't know if that's an altercation, but I mean, that was just, that was the end of the conversation. <laughs> so my position on any and all of this is that Eric Bieniemy's in a tough spot. He's a ceremonial offensive coordinator running Andy Reid's offense. So that puts him in a tough spot where the players can take out their frustrations on Eric Bieniemy and not challenge Andy Reid. Trust me, if they're going in at halftime sitting on the ball, that's Andy Reid's decision, not Eric Bieniemy's. Patrick, Patrick Mahomes is going off on Bieniemy because he can uh, and because he doesn't want to yell at Andy Reid. So they've set up Bieniemy as this pinata and as the fall guy. Again, I'm a big Andy Reid fan and supporter, love what Andy Reid's done for the Chiefs. But I just think Bieniemy's in a terrible spot being this figurehead offensive coordinator. He takes the heat. Fans are all, oh, what's going on between Bieniemy and Patrick Mahomes? Bieniemy is known for being a bit of a hothead, but he's not respected by the players. And part of that lack of respect is because of this ceremonial position he has. 
Jason, I'm going to defend Eric Public Bienemy. He's coaching. And I'm glad he didn't back down. And because in that situation, without Tyreek Hill, the way you play two-minute situations or last second before the half, end of game situations, it is completely different. And yesterday, the Chiefs, I thought, played one of the sloppiest games. And that particular decision is one of the sound ones they've made. But let me go back to the enemy. As history, I remember uh, watching clips when he was the running back coach for a young Adrian Peterson in Minnesota. And what I liked about him, he wasn't just a valet. He wasn't just Farnsworth Bentley. He got on his ass. I mean, he really coached him hard. And that's his job. And by the way, um, we could, I think, put to bed whose offense this is and whose real system it is and who's the play caller. Look, it's Andy Reid. Okay, but with that being said, disputes between the quarterback and coordinator, they're kind of commonplace. If you talk to anyone that's been on an NFL sideline, I remember years ago, Tom Brady's playing a game in Washington. Uh, this is about 10 to 12 years ago, and it said a lot about that culture of that franchise. Tom throws a terrible terrible interception in the end zone i think it cost him the game and they're on the sideline and brady's sitting on the bench bill o'brien gets on him brady tries to bark back and i'm telling you bill o'brien was this close in his face he was this close in his face and said no 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 i don't care who the you are we are the coaches you're the quarterback not happening and you know what they both separated everything's good they shook hands so i'm actually glad because that's the way the enemy is. He's not going to back down. I think there's a realization from Patrick Mahomes. I, I really can't beat up the enemy. Let, let's bark a little bit, but let's walk away. But um, but look, these disputes on the NFL side. Like, look, I saw something with the Jets. Quinnen Williams, a big defensive lineman. He wanted to assault his defensive line coach, and people had to get in the way. So at the end of the day, it's football. That's what happens. Uh, yes. I, I agree with you. I, I, I yeah, it, it's typical. It's par for the course. It may, so I, I'm at big deal, little deal, or no deal. You're saying this is a nothing burger. Yeah, I mean, it's a deal. It's football. It kind of happens. And I, and I do wonder, maybe part of this, maybe there's some frustration over the enemy. This is where I do side with the enemy. I've seen so many assistant coaches who ride the coattails of a great quarterback and it, whether it's them or not, I call it the Paul Hackett syndrome because Paul Hackett for 20 years kept getting jobs because he coached Joe Montana. Jason, I could have coached Joe Montana. Okay, and he got all these big jobs, Pitt Panthers, Kansas City Chiefs, and USC because everything came back to, well, he coached Joe Montana. And I see this in boxing all the time. You get one great boxer, and all of a sudden, everyone thinks you're a genius. It's, it's the damnedest thing. But when you see a Nathaniel Hackett, who I never really heard of, and I researched him yesterday as I'm watching that mess last night, I'm thinking, okay, what's the – I said, ah, he coached Aaron Rodgers, right? But look, he ended up getting a job. Well, look, Eric Bieniemy's thinking, well, wait a minute, I uh, coached Patrick Mahomes. Where's my head coaching job? So that's where I do think there's a little bit of an imbalance, and I wonder if Bieniemy is feeling some of that frustration. Oh, I'm sure he's feeling that frustration. The only thing I, I would add, though, you got to be able to get in the interview and fool them yeah. into believing that you coached Aaron Rodgers or Joe Montana or 
or uh, Tom Brady or whatever, you got to be able to pull it off and make the owner believe and the other people making the decision, yeah, I, I did that. If you can't, if you get in that interview and you're right. claiming that, pretending to, and you can't pull it off, that's how you don't get the job. Right. And Jason, with Eric Bieniemy, look, I think everyone deserves a second chance. We all live in a glass house. None of us are perfect. But some of the things that Eric Bieniemy has been involved in a long time ago, they haunt him now, unfortunately. And that is a reality also when you interview for these types of jobs. All right, uh, the Buffalo Bills, everybody's favorite football team or Super Bowl favorite football team, <laughs> lost yesterday to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I watched a lot of that game. Uh, the statistics are pretty overwhelming. If you look, I think we got a graphic yeah. here about time of possession, yeah. total number of plays, uh, yards, everything favors the Buffalo Bills. They dominated that football game and figured out a way to lose it. I still think the Bills are the best team in football. Nothing that I saw yesterday tarnishes that. Jason, again, the theme, it's only September and it's only week three. A Lombardi trophy has never been given after week three. Um, but I will say this, my guy, the elite guy, Joshua Allen, again, I have high standards for him because that's what I think. That last throw where he one-hopped it into the end zone, he reverted back to some really bad habits. His alignment on his feet, his footwork, he overstrided, and he one-hopped it. If you're going to be an elite quarterback at the MVP level, you got to throw that. And that ball was also thrown late. That needed to be come out of the break. So that's where Ken Dorsey still has some work to do in cleaning up Joshua Allen's uh, mechanics. But that was a game, and it shows you something, though, Jason. This is a common theme, and I've been charting this. Uh, a little bit throughout college football and pros because the game really mirrors each other on Saturdays and Sundays. I see a lot of teams running up a lot of time of possession, which now today is the very definition of empty calories. That's the most useless stat. Total number of plays, which kind of matters, and then also yards. Jason, a lot of offenses now in an offensive game, they can move the ball in between the 20. The elite teams punch the ball in. But what you really need to look at, the statistic that I look at is total uh, the average yards per play. And look, the Bills dominated inside the 20s, and the Dolphins only had 39 plays, but they hit explosive plays. Now, those matter because, look, it doesn't matter if you have a 15-play, 8-minute drive, but if you only get three points, what does that really mean if that other team can just hit a 50-yard shot on you and take it in for six? And that was the problem. And I, I, I'm a little bit concerned now going back to the Bills. It's a long season. Their secondary is absolutely decimated. I think all four starters are injured. I don't know how they're going to replicate that. But to, once again, to paraphrase Rick Pitino, Nate Odoms ain't walking through that door. So that's one of those issues they're going to have to deal with. Are they still the best team in yes. the NFL, in your view? Are they still? Yes. Yeah. And yes, I, yes because, look, they are still the uh, best team. Yes, they have a, a, an elite quarterback. They have waves of defenders up front that can rush the quarterback. They have a true number one receiver. I do think they need to run the ball a little bit more because more and more teams now, they're gonna. I'm just telling you, they're going to replicate what Miami did. They're going to go to that high cover two and force everything inside. Look, you got to create sets where you get single high man looks so you can go over the top. I saw much of that game, and there was a lot of dinking and dunking, which is effective, but you see what happens is the field gets compressed as you get inside that red zone. You got to find ways to jam that ball in through the goal line. 
All right, the reverse of this question is the Dolphins are 3-0. and uh, I believe, have they won 11 of their last 12 games? In, yes, including last, I think so. Last season, uh, you know, because they finished 8-1 and one at the end of the year after a terrible start. Uh, man, you know, the Dolphins, though, to me, are a bit of a mirage. And then I'm, I don't want to take too much shine off, but I wasn't impressed with him yesterday. I was impressed with Waddle and Tyreek Hill and the difference they make and the explosiveness they give the Dolphins. But I'm wondering if of the two 3-0 teams, the Dolphins and the Eagles, if the Dolphins aren't the team that's the mirage. If you were to say, Steve, gun to head, which team do you like in the long term? Believe it or not, I like the team with Jalen Hurts in Philadelphia. I think they're very, very solid on both sides. A.J. Brown, I'm still trying to figure out why did the Titans dump a guy that's 25 years old that looks like he has a lot of good years left. And A.J. Brown with Devontae Smith, who's a little track star, he'll still stretch the defense. A.J. Brown does all that other stuff inside. He's a big-bodied catcher, big-boned guy that'll do all the dirty work. And Jalen Hurts, look, I was not a believer in him as a long-term starter. I'm not quite a complete believer, but I'm thinking I'm getting there. I actually like him and what he brings to the table. Now, the Dolphins are interesting to me. I see them a lot. Remember the old Houston Oilers with the run and shoot when they had Ernest Givens and Haywood Jeffries? And they were great, and they were really fast, and they were quick. They were a consummate AstroTurf Dome team. But they could never win in the playoffs, even with a great quarterback like Warren Moon. You always kind of thought that style is fun to watch. It's very exciting and entertaining. But can it take you to a Super Bowl? When I look at the Dolphins, I would say, let's come back to November when everyone has a little bit of tape. Because remember, the first time around the league, you can surprise people. And Mike McDaniel is very creative. But every offense has a situation where they're a step or two ahead of the defense. By the second time you start playing divisional opponents, they understand how to defend you a little bit better. So that's the thing. But I really like the Eagles because I'm just, Jason, they are physical and strong on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And uh, they have real weapons and playmakers. And believe it or not, I think Hertz is actually pretty good. Let me steer you back because I asked the question the wrong way. Let me steer you back to the Dolphins a bit more. Let me tell you the thing that you can't scheme for. It's what Randy Moss always had, incredible speed. And so it didn't matter. There was no defense that could contain Randy Moss. He just outran any defense you drew up on paper. That's kind of what I think we're looking at as it relates to Waddle and Tyreek Hill. Uh, The whole question comes down to, Well, Tua consistently get them the ball when they run past these defenses. And so far, he's shown that he can do it, uh, particularly at opportune times. And so I I don't think this is going to be a situation with the Dolphins where uh, scheme catches up with them or game plan. It's just really about, are they really this good? Will Tua consistently get these guys the ball when they run past the defense? And... Well, you know, to sit there and to go up against that Buffalo offense for 90 plays, I believe Buffalo ran 90 plays and only surrendered 19 points. Is Miami's defense really that good? Those are my, is Tua as good as he looks early? And is Miami's defense 
as good as it looked yesterday. Well, here's one thing. I've, you know one thing I've never seen, Jason, in football? A quarterback complete a pass if they're out of the game. Tua is a small guy. There's already been issues of durability. I mean, there's actually a question if he should have been allowed to come back in the game yesterday. Again, he's a very small guy. And when you're running those deep routes, you know what the problem is? You got to go one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, and beyond. Those are deep set drops. Now, does Mike McDaniel draw it up and scheme as well as anybody? Yes. But this is still a game of blocking and tackling with big, angry men. I mean, the, 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 the hit or the shove that Tua took, that wasn't exactly the hardest hit I've ever seen. And I, I'm just telling you, throughout the year, this thing is such a grind. The great quarterbacks do one thing, whether it's Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, whoever it is. They know how to keep themselves clean and safe. Let's see if Tua can do that. Let's uh, move to the only 0-3 team in the National mm. Football League. It's the Las Vegas Raiders. Oh. Uh, Josh McDaniels is deservedly taking a lot of uh, criticism. This is his second opportunity as a head coach. He's been everybody's, oh, my God, he's the next big thing. Uh, he's off that Bill Belichick staff. Uh, I'm starting to wonder now, is he the most overrated, overhyped coaching prospect we've ever seen? Is he the Jamarcus Russell of oh. coaching? Well, now, wait a minute. He actually showed up to do his job. I mean, to be, <laughs> to be Jamarcus Russell, you'd have, I mean, honestly, he's lasted way too long. I, I mean, that, that when you talk about busthood, I mean, you're talking about like uh, Michael Lacandy, Jamarcus Russell, Ryan Leaf. I, I wouldn't say that. Look, maybe he's the modern-day Norv Turner, a guy that's meant to be a really respected and good offensive coordinator. But again, Jason, I go back to what I said a few minutes ago. How did Josh McDaniel get his reputation? He worked with Tom Brady. When you have guys like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, you know what they do as a football coach? They raise your IQ by 100. And once they leave your life, you go back to your regular IQ. It's the funniest thing, right? Uh, I'm a lot smarter with Dan Marino and John Elway. Uh, you give me Dave Craig, I'm kind of average intelligence. I mean, that, there's nothing new. But here's the interesting thing, though, about the Raiders at 0-3. It's now a 17-game season. So it's not quite the death sentence it used to be. Also, Jason, the AFC West, it's kind of in shambles in a sense that, look, I think the Chiefs will be there. The Chargers look to be falling apart, literally and physically. The Broncos... Um, I don't know what they're doing, but Russell Wilson does not look like the same guy. I'm just going to, I don't know if it's erosion. I don't know if it's the system, but as uh, Keith Sweat once said, something, something just ain't right. So I don't think there's any team right now after three, three weeks that is running away with it. And so I would not count the Raiders out yet. I still actually like their base foundation of talent. Here's what, and I'm a supporter of this guy that I'm about to criticize. Derek Carr, to me, didn't look right in that game. He, he, he and I'm not sure if he's looked right all regular season, uh, but I, I didn't, their little last drive where they had a chance to win, I, I, I didn't like it at all. He hit the big play on fourth down that got him down there, but the other throws other than that, I just wasn't impressed. And so 
Josh McDaniel is going to take a lot of heat, and perhaps he deserves heat for Derek Carr not performing at a high level. But I do think this is the first time I've been like, maybe Derek Carr is just not a franchise quarterback. Yeah, I, I mean, look, um, Jason Brown, who I want to be when I grow up, he's never been a Derek Carr fan, and like that's why he's a coach, and that's why I just watch football on the couch. I mean, look, with Derek Carr, I, I mean, you've kind of been on the same boat. You have Devontae Adams now. You got Waller, who's a Pro Bowl-level tight end. You got Justin Renfro, who's an elite slot receiver. The weapons are there. You have Josh McDaniels, who's supposedly an offensive guru. Now, there's two ways to look at this. They're about I think you called Hunter Renfro Justin Renfro. But oh, anyway, yeah, Hunter continue. Renfro. Okay, I, I get the white guys mixed up. Sorry <laughs> about that. Anyway, yeah. so here's the issue. You could argue that they're six or seven plays away from actually being 3-0 and or 2-1. and But the counter to that is, yeah, and that's the quarterback's job to make those plays. It's the reality. I mean, when you are given that responsibility of being a quote-unquote franchise quarterback, your job is to find a way to win the tough games. Thus far, I hate to say it, Derek Carr has failed. Uh, I want to move on to uh, the NFC East and Ron Rivera and the Washington Commanders. I'm working on a theory right now that Ron Rivera is benefiting, and, and forgive me for saying this, benefiting from being a cancer survivor, benefiting from being Hispanic, benefiting from working for Dan Snyder, and you know he, he's benefiting from the whole diversity, inclusion, and equity movement. No. Ron Rivera's been a head coach for 12 seasons, I believe. He's had three winning seasons. All Cam Newton sponsored uh, uh, winning seasons. And Cam Newton, for a time, was this incredible star and talent that couldn't be stopped. But Ron Rivera may be overvalued here because, oh, he brings so much credibility and he's so, such a great respected leader and blah. And I'm like, really, are we sure? Mm. What, 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 what? I, I think he benefits from a lot of things that have nothing to do with his ability produ to produce winning football teams. Is Ron Rivera potentially over, I mean, they got in, embarrassed yesterday by the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe it's because the Eagles are so good, but I've, I've watched the Commanders twice this season, and I haven't been impressed either. I, I've seen everything except for their, I think they opened the season beating the Jaguars, uh, I, but I've watched the two games since then, not impressed with the Commanders or Ron Rivera. Boy, that's an interesting, I had not thought of that, about that, because when I just think of Ron Rivera, I think of a football guy, a football man, a guy who's devoted his life to the game of football, and he's solid. But you got me thinking, how about this for a theory? And I don't know if it's a bit of a cop-out, but maybe he's getting the benefit of the doubt because he's the very antithesis of Daniel Snyder, the owner, who is thought of as this villainous, dastardly guy while Ron Rivera, no matter what his record is, is a solid, decent, salt-of-the-earth individual. And with that, because of the toxicity around the Washington commandos, on and off the field, because it's Ron Rivera who's steering this Titanic. Did you call them the which, commandos on purpose? 
or, or was that a slip of the tongue where you just, uh, or is that well, I'm trying to be politically trying to be correct. Funny. I'm trying to change my ways. I don't want to anger Twitter anymore. I'm turning over a new leaf. Okay, no, but seriously. You call so the them commandos. Fo- commandos or com- whatever. They're the Washington football commandos. club. I thought actually that was whatever. Whatever they're all. You know what? The Redskins. So here it is. The Redskins are the <laughs> Titanic. They've hit the iceberg 15 different ways. The band is still playing. Jack and Rose are trying to get off the dog- doggone ship. But Ron Rivera gives them stability. And maybe Snyder says, ah, oh, geez, you know, here's the problem. I've done so many bad things. And on top of it, if I fire Ron Rivera now, now they're really going to come after me. So maybe that's the protection. Maybe it's not the Mexican Latino card. Maybe it's the Oh my God, Ron is everything I'm not, so I can't get rid of him card. You know who he should hire to lead the team, be the head coach? John Gruden. Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick. <laughs> you, you, you fire Rivera and hire Kaepernick. The Wokes love it. DC loves it. They got some black leadership, big afro on the sidelines. Uh, they, they would just, everybody, you know what? They could make their logo a black... <laughs> The fist deal, uh, the Washington <laughs> call themselves the Washington Black Panthers, and move oh. on from there. You know, here's the thing. That's actually that's very funny because I've always thought this guy barely wants to even pretend to play football. Could you imagine him actually trying to put in the hours to work as a coach? I, I mean, but here's my view. I'm gonna go back to my idea. Daniel Snyder should just go full rogue and say, you know what? I'm going to go with Gruden. I've hired the brother, gotten Jay. You know what, John? Come here. I don't care about your emails. I'm not going to check your servers. Come back here. We need to play some winning football. All right. uh, Final question. Uh, You've already touched on a little bit of this, but uh, Justin Herbert played, finished that game yesterday. They, They got brutalized by the Jaguars. He finished the game. They're down 30-some-odd points or whatever, and he's still out there playing. Are you kidding me? But bigger problem, Herbert finishing the game or Tua Tungviola returning to the game after getting smoked uh, by the Buffalo Bills. The NFLPA is launching or wants an investigation on how Tua returned so quickly. What's the bigger problem, Herbert finishing or two are returning? Uh, two are returning is no problem. That's just being a football player. That's being a leader of men. God bless you. You know what? You're good, okay? Because if you did want to return to the game, no matter what anyone says, all those other players would have been like, hey, guy, it's 95 degrees, 100% humidity. Um, you have the safest rules out there. I think, look, I, I get the safety aspect, but 20 years ago, this is not even an issue. Not Again, it's not my body, though, or my brain, but Herbert. This San Diego Charger team, excuse me, L.A. Chargers, still not used to that. I read today that their Rashawn Slater, who is a really good young left tackle, soon to be perennial All-Pro, he's out for the year. And this is a question for boy wonder Brandon Staley, who we have been very critical of. I don't get it. You're down 38 to 10 in garbage time. You've been dominated the whole game. You have a damaged quarterback. Your job as a leader is to tell Herbert, sit down, sit down. And I'm, and I'm watching this press conference, and he's like, oh, well, you know, uh, yeah, uh, he wanted to play. 
Hey, Staley, who's the coach? Are you the leader or not? I, that's the type of game that if I'm the GM or the Spanoses, and I'm seeing my hundreds of million dollars investment uh, soon to be, my franchise quarterback for the next decade, getting put back out there, I'd have a meeting saying, uh, Brandon, what are you doing? Okay, we've lost the game. We got to think short term, but also long term. I really believe, and I know this is only, I believe, a second year. That roster is much better than it sh- uh, in terms of the way it's constructed as opposed to the results. And I've said this to other people. I don't believe with a roster like that, you get a five-year plan. If he doesn't make the playoffs with that particular team, I'd get rid of him. Because I thought last year he blew the season for the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm going to say this in defense of Staley. I'm going to say, I'm going to repeat what he said. Hey, he's going to be playing with this level of pain for the foreseeable future, and we got to get him used to it. That's part of the logic and reasoning of why they didn't pull him out. You add in the fact that Justin Herbert is saying, no, I want to stay out there uh, because, again, he has to, he's in his mind, I got to get used to playing with this pain. I got to get used to being in the fourth quarter and managing this pain. And so that's the excuse. I don't buy it. I would have taken him out. Uh, it's not worth it. You know, I, I'll let him get used to the pain with longer practices <laughs> or something. Or, or I just wouldn't have done it in a Jason, game where he was getting his butt kicked that bad. Jason, you are defending the indefensible. We're talking about the last four minutes. For 56 minutes, he had learned to play with the pain. What I get it. If it's a tie game or even a two-possession game, okay, let's try to do something. I believe it was 38 to 10, and that game was actually shown out here locally. I was watching a lot of it along with the Rams and the Cardinals. For much of that game, Justin Herbert was by far the second-best quarterback. I mean, Trevor Lawrence was in command. He was looking like a franchise quarterback, while Justin Herbert looked like a damaged guy who, quite frankly, was not getting a lot of help. I I understand going down with the ship, but as the great Michael Ray Richardson once said, uh, oh, so eloquently as he only could, that ship be sunk. The game is over. You pull the quarterback. Come on, Jason. There, There was no defending that from Staley at that point. None. Kareem Cosell, I got to go. I got to move on to the last chance Q. Jason Brown, our QB expert. X. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back. Let's get out to uh, Los Angeles once again, bring in Last Chance Q, B-Guru, Jason Brown. You guys remember from Last Chance U on Netflix. We remember him 
because he's the last remaining Lamar Jackson doubter. Uh, Lamar Jackson, three games in, Jason, is the clear-cut MVP of the National Football League. You say what? Let it play out. It's not sustainable. <laughs> let, let it play out. Uh, hey, I well, You're going to be saying this in, in 2030? Let it play out. You're going to be saying this in 2030? No, nah, because he'll never make it that long uh, in this style of play, uh, with this style of play. I just had Clint Stoner on my show this morning for my wake-up show, former NFL player, played for the Cowboys, and uh, I, I played a game with him. I said, listen, I'll name you some names. Tell me, is he worth the money? And the first one on there was Lamar Jackson. He said unequivocally, no. Um. He does a show in Houston. He's pretty well-recognized. He's pretty well-replicable. He's a replicable guy. And I agree with him. Now, I don't What's agree with What's his justification? Hold for one second. What's his justification? The man is on pace for 50, 60 passing TDs. He's, he's 90% of their offense. You can, if it ends this year, he's still worth the money. I agree. Listen, I will eat crow as the great Jason Whitlock once said. I will, if it comes down to it, that he ends up being the guy. And like I said on your show, I, I commend the guy greatly. I think he's unbelievable for what he's doing. He's sticking his neck out there. He's letting them hang low. No agent said, screw your money. I know what I'm worth. Deshaun got paid. I won it. I've won the same amount of games, if not more. I'm better. I got an MVP. I get it. I'm a great character. I have no issues off the field. I get all that. But he ran 11 times for 107 yards yesterday and a touchdown. He was 18 of 29 for 200 yards, four touchdowns, okay? Great stats, four touchdowns against arguably one of the greatest defensive minds ever, Bill Belichick. What can I say, right? Your argument holds water, right? But can he do it continuously as the defensive coordinators scheme him with a better roster than New England because players win games, coaches lose them. And I just want to make sure that we're clear when this comes down to week 10, 11, 12, as we get closer to playoffs, our defensive coordinator is going to scheme him in a manner to hold him in the pocket, make him beat you with his arm, which I am saying right here on your show, he cannot do, he will not do. Now, does that make him not worth it? No. And me me and Clint both said he's worth the money because of the marketplace has been set. So so he needs to – he earned the money for what the market is. He's not worth the money. And it's not sustainable, Jason. He's going to get hurt, knock on wood, continuing this play. And the Ravens know this. That is why they haven't offered him a guarantee. He's not sustainable. In three years, is he going to run for 111 yards? No. And uh, what can he do in the long run? What can he do for me lately? You know this business, Jason, as well as I do. What have you done for me lately? Does his game equate to longevity at this rate? It doesn't. That's not what the Jay- NFL for. Jason, I get it. But you have to acknowledge he's improving as a passer. He is improving as a passer. My eyes aren't lying to me. He's a better passer than when he entered the league. I, this is the difference. Look at Jalen Hurts, who I'm not a believer in, but this year, 
Jalen Hurts has impressed the hell out of me. You know what he did? He flew his butt out to California, got with Jordan Palmer, a couple real quarterback guys, and his entire platform of mechanics has changed. It is completely different. Jalen Hurts looks like a night and day quarterback, which I was not aware of until I've witnessed it in the last few weeks. Jalen Hurts gives the Eagles a chance to win the NFC because of his release, his mechanics, and the ability to throw the ball on time. Compared to Lamar Jackson, whose platform has yet to change, his mechanics arguably have gotten worse as he's gone along, even though he's throwing these touchdowns at an all-time rate right now. Look at his stats and his numbers. 18 of 28. What does that tell you, Jason? They are not secure with him sitting back there throwing the football 50 times a game to win the football game, which is fine. You don't need to. But understand, the shots they're taking with him and the balls that he's completing for touchdowns, look at the coverage. Look at what's happening in the box. You're getting one high safety. You're getting man free. He's hitting balls over the middle off of play action and RPO. And they're wide open receivers. The the tight end saved him twice yesterday. Did you see Edwards save him twice? He threw up his back foot like this, an up-for-grab football that Andrews jumped over two guys and grabbed it. Now now we're saying he's the greatest passer of all time. He's throwing crap up there for grabs. That is what he does. And you know what, Jason? Lamar Jackson, as a leader and as that team has bought into him, that is why they're making those catches. They will run through a wall for this dude. That is why I give him the credit of get that money. He deserves that money. I didn't say he doesn't deserve it. I said he's not worth it. Please make sure we're clear. I don't believe he's worth it. That Does he not deserve it? Yes, he does deserve it, in my opinion. But he's not so, a – let's call him Tom Brady yet. I'm, I'm not. I'm not calling him – I said he's improved as a passer. But, but let's, let's look at and, – and you've gotten a little ahead of me – with the Jalen Hurts, we're going to get there. But, but, but Jalen Hurts went out to California, worked with Jordan Palmer, improved his passing mechanics. Let's don't act like Lamar Jackson this offseason sat in strip clubs and, you know, all offseason. The dude put on 15, 20 pounds of muscle to prepare himself for what he was, go- what he was going to face given the Baltimore offense that they have committed to. He knew he was going to have to maybe run for 1,200 yards this season. And so he did what made sense for Lamar Jackson. Jalen Hurts did what made sense for Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying that Lamar Jackson is going to have a 15, 20-year career. I'm saying he's worth it because he's made me believe he can be this style of quarterback for an additional four or five years, and that's good enough for me. That, that's good enough. He doesn't have to have Tom Brady's career. If this guy has a 10-year career playing at this level, he's Hall of Famer, he's probably going to win his second MVP, and, and, and will likely have a shot. He'll make it to at least a Super Bowl and, and perhaps win a Super Bowl I just I can't knock Lamar Jackson right now. I just I don't know how you I don't know what you're looking at, but I'm seeing a man did do what makes sense for Lamar Jackson, not Jalen Hurts. 
I'm looking at the totality of breaking down a quarterback from fundamentals from step one to step 100. What it entails to become an elite quarterback to win what is ultimately our judgment day Super Bowl. We are judged on winning Super Bowls regardless. So let me ask you this, Jason. If I said, Jason, I'll give you four years. You pay me $200 million. Your show will be the number one show in America, but I can also leave because I just might just not be the guy anymore and leave year one. Would you sign me to that money? If you had given me five years in advance of what Lamar Jackson has given Baltimore, and then we entered into an agreement like where you're saying, I'm going to give you five more years of that. Yes, I'm going to sign that deal. And then if you leave after year one or two, I'm going to be upset. But I will have enjoyed that first five years and one or two extra years so much that I'd be like, you know what? I got no regrets. What, what has he given you for five years, though? We must have a different result. A show! Huh? A show. This is an incredible show I'm watching. My fan base is satisfied. We're in the playoffs year after year. He's putting a, he's the greatest show in the NFL. It's a TV show, Jason. You were on one called Last Chance You. You put on a show. He's putting on a show. What'd that get me? Nothing. And it hasn't gotten him anything either. It hasn't gotten their fan base anything either. This is a results-oriented business. They want Super Bowl wins. They want playoff wins. What is he giving them? A show? He looks good because he runs around and he's a freak of nature. He he put on 30 pounds of muscle. So now we have a linebacker running back playing quarterback? It's not sustainable. By the way, the way that his deltoids neck and traps are, his throwing mechanics have gotten worse. It's all muscle in his lats. You know how hard it is? Look at Tom Brady's body type. He looks like shit. And he's the best still at 45 years old. Like, look at what Aaron Rodgers did to a loaded Tampa defense yesterday with zero wide receivers. He started the game 10 for 11. And he ended up ripping apart a great defense because he's efficient with no wideouts. Lamar Jackson wishes in his dreams he could be that efficient and throw from the pocket and stay healthy. Jason, Jason, the problem you have right now is that I actually watched football yesterday like I do every Sunday. You do know Green Bay, and I'm not knocking Aaron Rodgers because that's my guy. I love him. They scored 14 points. Lamar Jackson put 36 on New England. So don't tell me about what Aaron, Aaron, that's great. He started 10 for 11. They scored two touchdowns. Lamar Jackson accounted for five. That's what a, a quarterback puts points on the board and gives his ch- team a chance to win. They're two and one. Green Bay's two and one. Lamar Jackson's having a better season than Aaron Rodgers three games into the season. I agree. Not, no argument out of me on that. The argument is Tampa Bay's defense is 10 times better than New England right now, number one. Tampa Bay has probably the best defense in the NFL right now, and Aaron Rodgers has zero, zero outside threats at wide receiver. And he's continued to do this with zero re- threats. Devontae Adams, minus him, give me a wideout that he has not had to build from scratch. Give me a wideout that, that Mahomes and these other big-time quarterbacks 
have inherited as all pros. And you compare the two. There's no comparison. Lamar Jackson had Hollywood Brown want to leave him because he couldn't get him to football. Like there is legitimate receiver issues out here that they talk around amongst the community. Like, hey, man, you can go ahead and go over there and run that show. But I ain't going there to catch no balls from Lamar Jackson who's going to throw me one ball a quarter. They're not going to go for that, and it's not going to last very long. Pretty pretty soon, you're going to have mutiny on the bounty in the locker room, and you're going to be called the running linebacker that's put on 30 pounds. Like, that's what it is. And in the NFL, it's not sustainable. I love him. I'm not disagreeing with you, and he is my MVP right now. He is. Because of what he's proven to bet on himself and say, I'm taking this to the house regardless of what the naysayers say, I hope he proves me wrong, Jason. I'm telling you right now, week 11, let's continue to have this conversation and see where we are. And I'll eat crow right here on national television in front of your audience and say I was wrong. But when that happens, I don't want to anoint anyone the GOAT or the MVP after three weeks. That's just where I'm at with it. Let me, do you think today, after scoring 36 points, Anybody in that Baltimore offense has a problem. Knowing the profession, the egos at the wide receiver position, which is the single most egotistical position in a locker room, I would I would bet dollars to dimes that there's some people bitching. Yes. And it goes on in every locker room. Devontae Adams right now is like, Big time issue in in in. They're zero uh, and three. They're zero and three. He should be upset. But he's not. You know what? He ain't mad that they're zero and three. Do you think he's mad if he has twenty catches a game and they're zero and three? Hell no, man. These dudes are the most egotistical humans on earth. I've come on record. I have receipts. Devontae Adams is going to have his worst season as an NFL pro. I've said it months ago. I've said it on my show. And he comes out week one, 10 catches, everyone's telling me I'm horrible. And then what has he done since? What has what has the tight end done since? What have the Raiders done since? It comes down to the quarterback. I've been saying this. Derek Carr is horrible. And, and, and so are so many other ones that we want to throw the bag to. And uh, I, I, I just want to see Lamar in 10 weeks. I want to see these guys in 10 weeks. And I want to see how hunky-dory the locker room is in 10 weeks. If, if, if Baltimore hits a slide and and now we're, we're talking about, you know, uh, making the playoffs or, or being the, uh, the home field advantage seeking team that we think they're on track for right now. I don't see it, but we'll see. I'll eat crow if they do. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll probably do this again next week when Lamar puts up another spectacular performance. So just re- remember everything we just said. We're going to do it again next week. I want to move on. Uh, and get your thoughts on Eric Bieniemy. I think being this figurehead offensive coordinator puts him in a bad spot. And, and he's complaining, uh, or Patrick Mahomes is complaining to Bieniemy about sitting on the football at the end of the game when everybody with a brain knows that's Andy Reid's decision. But since Bienemy has this figurehead position. They can use him like a piano, pinata instead of going at Andy Reid, go at Eric Bienemy, 
and, and, and clown him and make him look like the bad guy. And again, I'm not someone that's this huge Eric Bieniemy uh, fan, but I think he's in a bad spot being the figurehead offensive coordinator. It, it, it sets him up for this type of conflict. I agree with you. Uh, right there, quarterback OC, quote-unquote OC, whatever we want to call him. I call him a titled OC. Uh, this happens to me that is nowhere near as demonstrative or out of pocket as it was with the Jets D lineman standing up to the coach. That is a straight blatant disrespect. Mahomes is a completely different animal. He, he, he was in a, in a dispute and in, in a, in a, a disagreement. He didn't come aggressive at the enemy. He didn't come, uh, you know, sideways at him. All he was displeased with what we do not know is, uh, we're just speculating as well, reading lips. Is it really what, what it, was it really sitting on the ball? Was it really the play call? Was it really the, the, the communication to the field from the sideline? We don't really know. Uh, what we do know is there's some displeasure there and, and the enemies put in this trick bag, so to speak. And as an African-American, as a brother in this position with the Rooney rule being as crazy and criminal as that rule is, uh, you know, it's really a it's a really a slap in the enemy's face and all black coaches, in my opinion, because now he is now the scapegoat to say black coaches don't deserve head jobs. And we're at an all time low. Even after the Rooney rule has been put in place, we have yet we have less black head coaches than we did before the damn Rooney rule. So that thing is just a slap in the face. Eric, the enemy is the scapegoat in this whole discussion, in my opinion. And I think that he is uh, being set up for failure. And then you have former players like Shady McCoy coming out and blasting him on Twitter and saying that he's not the OC, he doesn't call the plays, et cetera, et cetera. He's been on several podcasts saying it. I don't like that because this is a tight fraternity, as you know, Jason. You played. This is a deal. We don't need to come out and bash players. We don't need to come out and bash coaches. But that is a kind Except of Except Lamar fe- Jackson. Yeah, it's kind of a fe- no, but it's kind of a female move to me that he came out and bashed a former guy. See, I wouldn't bash Lamar Jackson as a coach or a player, though. I'm just giving a media perspective now, just like everybody else does on ESPN and everyone else. I actually know more than everybody damn talking, though. That's the difference. Well, and and I'm about to put you to the test. We're going to see how fearless you are because you, you've taken me down a path I wasn't expecting to go to, but you you played the card about, you know, black head coaches or whatever. We never have a legitimate conversation about black head coaches. Everything in the NFL is like, oh, it's got to be racism. The owners are racist. That's the only reason why they don't get the job. There's more to it than that, Jason. And, and, and you know that there's more to it. And, and, and I, this is, I could rattle off a bunch of different factors. I'm going to rattle off just the ones that come to the top of my head because I wasn't expecting you to take me down this path. But the entry gate into coaching is the graduate assistant job. And uh, black dudes aren't in mass raising their hands right after college to go, oh, I'm, I'm going to make no money. I'm going to make $15,000 a year. Because many of them, the former players, they got babies. And if you got babies, 
it's hard to take a job that's going to pay you $12,000, $15,000 a year the first year or two out of college. So we're not entering the starting gate at the same time. Then you have many black players are so committed to playing the game and becoming professionals that they don't even really start thinking about transitioning into coaching until they've exhausted every avenue of their playing career. I've seen guys that I played with at the mid-major level that chased the NFL dream for six, seven years. They weren't even all Mac, and they're chasing the NFL dream for six, seven years after their career. They're playing arena ball, they're playing semi-pro, they're blah, blah, this, that, another. Whereas a Sean McVay will go to Miami of Ohio with the game plan of, I'm just walking on and playing here so I can learn how to coach. I'm just scratching the surface on all the little different elements. You got to get at the starting gate at the same rate as everybody else if you want the end results to be as good as everybody else. I just don't think we can chalk this up to all these white owners don't want blackhead coaches. If they're willing to pay Patrick Mahomes a half billion dollars, you really think they care who they pay to coach their team for five, six, seven million dollars a year? I just don't think they do. I, I, I get tired of the, oh, it can all be chalked up. They, they got rosters 75% black, paying them millions of dollars, but the one position, oh, this head coach, no, 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 no. Now, Eric Bieniemy, he got dirt on his jacket from the silly stuff he did at Colorado. If he was a white coach, everybody in the media would be lighting him up for the issues he had at Colorado. But since he's black, let, let's don't talk about it. It's just a more, and look, you've put staffs together. You've been involved. Are there a bunch of black dudes out here that have done the work to be play callers on the offensive side of the game? Really? Uh, yeah. Are, are, there, as, there's a lot to that. There's a flip side of the coin as well. Uh, yeah. A lot of, so 76% black played college and NFL. It's 79% black coach, or I'm sorry, white coached. And mostly the black coaches are at the HBCU level, which they get a horrible rap. And I'm be honest, a lot of those coaches are not very good coaches. Um, maybe they haven't put in the time, like you said. But here's the flip coin side to this thing. Black coaches are asked to come in and be the, how do I say it, uh, be the controller, okay? That, in essence, in definition, I'm going to give you guys layman's terms, that is the recruiter. So I'm going to come in, recruit the players to my to your staff, and that is my sole job. When you're the recruiter, you also have the thumb, the heartbeat of that kid, and you can talk to him and quote unquote control him during the season on and off the field. We see that doesn't work very well. But at the same time, when you are hired to bring talent to the program, as a lot of assistant young black coaches are, you don't learn the game. And my thing to all my black coaches and assistants and players that go on and coach is you need to learn how to play the game, not the game. 
And the game is a bigger thing in totality. It is learning how to talk to these folks. It's learning how to communicate. It's learning how to go learn the game, like you said, outside of just being the recruiter and the controller, so to speak. And I think that these coaches aren't putting in the time. I agree with you on that. But on the other side of it is if you're asked to be this guy only and then you get passed by because of a Sean McVay's daddy was in the NFL for a long time, you you do have some nepotism involved. Um, How many black coaches hire their own sons? There's not enough. I don't believe it equals out because we're not in the game. And I I had Marshall Falk on and was talking to him about the, the Rooney Rule thing. And he agrees with you and myself on this regard. You know damn well you're taking those token interviews. And until the black coach actually says, you know what? Marvin Lewis interviewed for the Cowboy job. And, the, and two hours later, they named Mike McCarthy the head coach. You know you wasn't getting that damn job. And Marshall Fox said it straight on my show. They know when they're – the agents know before. They know. But when the black coach finally – Jason, when he finally says, you know what? Screw you. I'm not taking the interview. That is when you're going to see change. If you continue to just take the change, uh, the interview for clout, you're not going to get any more black coaches in this business than we already have. So somebody's going to have to drop their nuts and say, all right, I'm not going to take the interview. But they're going to continue to take it because it helps them. On It's on their resume. I interviewed for the Dallas Cowboy head job, which really in totality helps nobody. So I agree with you. Uh, I just I just see there is so many moving parts to this because of the intertwined relationship on the bottom of the barrel when they're when they're done playing. Like you said, they may chase the dream. Uh, I had a kid on last chance. You played at Utah State, got a shot, didn't make it. I got him a job at BYU right now. He's GA and at BYU. Young black brother from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, great kid. He, he's like, coach, I listen. I, I it's, it's about who's telling these cats what to do. And I think these kids continue to have horrible circles um, around them and they listen to the wrong folks and then they want to chase this proverbial dream and you're you're chasing a, a dream that is exactly that. A dream with no ending and no goal in sight. My kids, 13 coaches I got, black coaches, division one jobs in some way, whether it's a equipment manager or a film guy or a grad assistant, they're all successful right now and they're moving their way up the ladder. So they listen, though, and it comes from a strong role model, I believe, or a mentor that they believe in. And I don't believe a lot of these cats have that. And they're going and chasing this damn arena league, semi-pro, getting legs broken, don't have insurance. I mean, you know the deal. And now you're blaming everyone else. And that's the the truth of the matter. Uh, We suck in our teeth, blaming, pointing fingers when at the end of the day, you just didn't play the game. Uh, You're trying to play uh, games. And so... That's it comes down to the role model and who's telling these guys what to do. And that's just the, the issue. Uh, it's so big, though. And so I, I want to hammer one point that I've already made, but I just want to crystallize it a bit more. It, it, and because, again, we never have this discussion. All we just sit around and do is, oh, well, the owners are racist. That's the end of the discussion. That, that, that's the only thing. And, and no, there's actually a, a, a point in life where you have to embrace a realistic vision for yourself. And so if your vision when you're eight years old is to play in the NFL, and because trust me, mine was. I used to dream about giving my Hall of Fame speech. I used to practice it when I was eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Then I got to about age 17 and I was like, well, hold on, man. 
uh, I got all these recruiting letters from the Big Ten schools, but the coaches ain't offering me because I'm just a shade over six foot and I play on the offensive line. And so I had to adjust my, you know what? You're not going to be tall enough, Jason, because I went and looked at the stats and like, man, you need, you probably need to be at least six foot two and blah, blah, blah. And so I started adjusting my vision for myself. And I was like, I'm going to use this college deal to launch some sort of career. And once I got to college, I figured out, I was like, I'm going to be a journalist. And that became my vision for my life. And I've had success. I played with guys in high school that was five foot eight playing linebacker thinking they were going to play in the NFL or guys in college that ran four eight forties that thought they were going to play corner or wide receiver in the NFL. And it just vision. And I'm just telling you, I see. You know what that is? Go, That's yeah. why I made this book, Hate Me Now, Love Me Later. Because hate me now when I tell you the truth from Jump Street. We have coaches now who are fluffing these kids and telling them and begging them and kissing their ass to tell them, you will make it. Coach, can I go D1? This cat is 4'8", runs a 4'8", and we're telling him, yeah. So he don't transfer on him and go to another high school. Or at the four-year level, he don't transfer on him, and he's a GPA boost for their API scores so that the coach can get a bonus check. So we have so many different things going on, but we will not tell the kids the truth, and then they have a false sense of hope, and when they get to Alabama, if they do make it, now they're saying, all right, I'm a first-rounder, and really you're not. And Nick Saban, a couple other guys are the only ones telling you the truth. These other guys are not, and now we're setting them up for failure at an all-time rate, and now you're seeing it not only in football, in society. Everyone thinks they're the next YouTube sensation, Instagram model, and that's why they're still in our Amazon packages at our front door. They don't want to work for nothing. Everything's handed to them. They want instant gratification, and that is what these kids are doing nowadays. This is the generation, and we don't have any mentors, any leaders telling them the truth. I used to tell the parents straight out, your son will not play Division One football, but he will become a better human. He will learn how to get his degree, and he will be a better citizen and a father in the community. I said that is what I can promise him. I can't tell you right now he's going Division One. He's not. He's 4'8 and runs a 4'8, and he's 300 pounds. So he's not going Division One. The parents, mostly single mothers for any city, inner city youth, they don't know this, and they really, really are holding on to this hope and dream and uh, unfortunately we have no truth tellers anymore we have lost truth telling uh, at all time high i wish i can give these cats truth serum and you'd be shocked and the world would change overnight took me off on a side track i'm glad we did it we'd probably do it again i did want to get to your breakdown of josh allen's uh <laughs> should have been game deciding touchdown throw uh but he one hop to throw i, I I think we let's watch this video of you talking about Josh Allen. All right, no time. Fourth down. We got a bunch set right here. Man, we know it's man. Plus the added on backer blitz. So we know we're getting this pressure. He's either going to take the back, which he has to if this back were a free release. And we got a combination route concept right here. 
Allen, I know he's good. All you guys think he's the best. But listen, he always underthrows balls when he's unsure. He skip balls when he's unsure. Fourth down, can't be unsure. We got a rub route, natural flat route. Ball needs to be thrown now. Now, we got leverage. Look, we got leverage. We can. This is the guy we should be reading. Throw the ball, leverage throw. We call him leverage throw. The ball should be thrown right here. On time, he's holding the football. Why? Why is he not even ready to throw the football yet? I don't know why. He thinks his arm is gonna save him. Late, bad mechanics, skips the ball. Game over, Miami's 3-0. The weirdo is now 3-0 as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. What do I know? Hey. That's the difference between Tom Brady and a lot of quarterbacks. That's the difference. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, all the greats. I mean, that's he. So we want to anoint him as the next coming to Brady, but he's yet to overcome Mahomes in any meaningful game. A, he's yet to go to a Super Bowl. A, same age as Mahomes, same age as Burrow, and uh, he's yet to to show me that he can win when it counts. And that all comes down to what we call the it factor. There's very, very, very few guys that have the it factor. Uh, and, 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 I, and I think if you win a Super Bowl and you're as good as you are like, a, like Aaron Rodgers is, even though I don't know if I'm going to put him on my Mount Rushmore unless he wins another one or two, um, you know, he's won one, though, and he's as good as he is. I say he does have the it factor. Brady, obviously, is the epitome of the it factor. And there are only a few guys that have the it factor. Um, Tony Romo just didn't have it. Me and Clint Soner talked about him this morning. Tony Romo's probably top five, ten skill set of all time, but he couldn't win a game, couldn't win a playoff game, and he had more Pro Bowlers around him than anyone. He has loaded Pro Bowlers as well. Allen does. Might have a, one of the top three wideout crews in in the football. He has all the intangibles, all the tools. Um, the OC slamming the clipboard after the game, Dorsey. I would have hit myself with the clipboard. Because it's your fault. And even though Allen made a bad throw, we put him in a predicament. That was his 64th throw of the football game. And how many yard, How many carries did he have? Every time we drop back to throw, Jason, 64 times in that instance yesterday against Miami, that's 64 opportunities for him to tuck it and run. That's 64 opportunities for you to end this kid's career. It is un- it's blowing my mind that we can't run the football and balance this thing out. By the way, Tua was 13 of 18 for 146 yards and won the football game. Like, we don't need to throw the ball 63 times. But what we do need to do is balance it out and give him easier, manageable, more manageable positions to be put in. And we're putting all the onus on Josh Allen. I don't think it's fair on him for that regard, but I also want to know, want to clarify Big-time players make big plays in big games, and he has yet to do so in any big game. And he's another one I wouldn't pay. Not until he can win a game for me. I don't have the energy right now to argue with you about this Josh Allen deal. You wouldn't pay Josh Allen. Stop it, Not Jason. right now. You wouldn't. Not right now. What are we paying him for? Let me ask you this. Why do – what do you pay someone for? You pay a manager Future to – Future production. Get- Production. You pay a manager to get you a better gig or your agent or whoever. I pay a marketing team to market me better, to make more money for myself. That way you make more money. 
why are we paying guys that don't make my business better? He's not making my business better. What has he done? He, he's lost to Mahomes twice. He didn't get to a Super Bowl yet. And Bill Mafia, he's the best thing because he tucks it and runs and stiff arms a guy. And, yeah, and he's this close to being done for the for the year like Trey Lance is. He's this close to being done, like get hit in the head like Tua got yesterday. And he's this close to being the next Jimmy G. I'm just telling you, we'll win a bunch of preseason games or regular season games, but we can't win the big one. He's Tony Romo in essence. He's, he might be golfing uh, more than he's playing football in the offseason if he can't win a damn playoff game. But we're paying him $200 million, $250 million guaranteed is just says a lot to me, Jason. Now, it sounds to me, Jason, that you've adapted the new generation of acceptance. And I have not. I am not giving you a trophy and a participation trophy. I'm just not there yet. Probably why I'm not coaching. I need results, damn it. I need you to win me a playoff game and a Super Bowl. And then I'll give you everything. But we've had, Jason, how many great quarterbacks have we seen throughout time that is dominant in the regular season? And we talk about how much of a choke artist they are in this playoffs. I wouldn't pay James Harden either. What's he done in the playoffs? So, like, there's so many of these type of scenarios. I need results, and the end result for quarterback is winning, not regular season games, Super Bowls. And that is what this job is ultimately judged upon. So, Jason, where do you put Dan Marino all time? That's where I was exactly going. Would you pay Dan Marino? That's what I was about to ask you. Would you pay Dan Marino? That's the thing. You've accepted the new relevance. It's not relevant. That I bag- asked you a question. Would you pay Dan Marino? Yes. Because of the difference in era. Dan Marino, in this era, the marketplace has been set at here. Dan Marino got a million dollars a year. We're paying these dudes 50. Like, come on, man. There's a difference in say, like, there's a huge difference in this thing. I would pay Warren Moon. He didn't win one, but in this era, he demands the money. And so, I mean, it's just, it's a whole different ballgame. It's hard to compare apples and oranges. It's hard to compare eras when the money, I mean, Eric Dickerson never made a million dollars in his year, in his career in one season. His most money he made was 950000 with the Colts when he got traded from the Rams. You're telling me the great, in my opinion, he's the greatest running back to ever touch a football. And he never made a million dollars in a year. Imagine what Eric Dickerson makes today. And I'm just telling you, we, we have so many different – there's just time the, – the, the time and the, and the eras have changed so much that we have accepted mediocrity as greatness. And that's just a generational difference in me and these other cats thinking. And I'm just, I'm just praying Jason Whitlock doesn't go down that trap. JB – I was going to ask you about Jalen Hurts, but you've already somewhat addressed that. And I got a sidetracked on other topics. Uh, I, I, I will say this, Jamie, a couple of more performances like this, and I'm going to have to figure out a way to pay you. My God. Hey, remember. <laughs> Holy cow. Hey, I'm just telling you. I, hey, disagreements create You're a natural, company. man. Hey, disagreements you are create natural. great company. 
This is your calling. This is your calling. You're a natural. All right, uh, that's tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for freedom. Looking for a breakout, feeling like a standoff, nothing in life like freedom. Came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation, we all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back, we are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want 